how are you today? Georgie, can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Okay, perfect. Oh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so sorry about the mess of like sending 45 links that so you don't really know which one it is the joining link. Um, apologize for that. Okay, so to start off the show, I would love to give the audience a little background of Georgie. So Georgie is the founder of Hinko. Hinko is a multi-chain privacy layer for blockchain transactions backed by Draper Associates and other leading VCs. It raised um, over... Um, it raised $5.3 million in 2023. He also founded SV Icons, a community connecting Stanford entrepreneurs with Silicon Valley icons through curating dinners. Past speakers, including Sam Altman, Evan Spiegels, and many other iconic founders and VCs. Georgie, welcome to Venture with Grace. Thank you for having me, Grace. Okay, so you just uh, you went to sleep at 4 a.m. yesterday. That's crazy. Uh, um, it's a normal schedule for a blockchain founder. <laughs> How do you know is that that is for you? Uh, because I got like I think I I think you're share the link of our today's event at four a.m. It's like I wake up at six and it was like four four hours. Oh, sorry, that's two a.m. Sorry, I apologize for that. That's crazy. Um, terrible math on me. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, I actually went to thirty, so it's it's pretty, it's okay for 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 now. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so let's start with what is hinko. So hinko is like a Georgian dumpling and with different meat and spices inside, and like that that is an equivalent in the blockchain because of the privacy on chain, right? So you guys shield all the transactions to make sure no one know who is doing these transactions. Is that correct? Hi, Nicole, by the way. Yep, that's a privacy layer. Um, yep, that's a Hinko is a privacy layer uh, that basically absorbs all uh, major Ethereum and EVM decentralized applications mm -hmm. and allows you uh, to use Hinko as a private wallet. So if you make transactions, but no one can actually know that it's you, who is responsible for this transaction while you maintain full full uh, self-custody over the assets. Totally. I wonder, um, there is a, like, okay, so there's like two part of the question. So one is you mentioned about like, you know, a lot of people using blockchains because of its, um, it's like the transparency because like some people think like, um, you know, the transparency is supposed to be like a beneficial thing for it. And I wonder why is it important? Hi, blah. So why is it important for like um, companies to consider the privacy uh, privacy issues? And then you guys are also, so like from my understanding, you guys are building for two kind of major clients. One is like the whales or like the hedge funds of the world. And then the other part is like for the developing countries, they don't really have a really good financial infrastructure. Um, I wonder like, you know, how is that, like why is that important for, um, to build this protocol? Yeah, um, I think we had several uh, primitives when blockchain just started and one of them was uh, one, one of the primitives was transparency and it's no 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 longer true because um what what is important is, is um that we can trace assets that's really mm -hmm. important so I, I would change transparency to traceability 
Um, mm. And this provides unique value to blockchain. But I don't think that transparency itself is very beneficial um, because, okay, so imagine that you go to the shop, you do transaction, then you buy a house, um, you send money to your friends, and I see everything, right? Why do you think this might be beneficial for you? I don't think there's mm -hmm. any benefit for full transparency. And, you know, we focus on economic version of privacy where you actually lose money because of transparency. And these use cases are copy trading, uh, front running, mm -hmm. payroll, right? Where the information is um, super important. And if it leaks, it leads to a lot of bad actors uh, to using this information. And th these are the use cases that we focus on. But generally, mm -hmm. I think my view of blockchain is that uh, it is transforming from what we used to think about it, about, oh, it's a public, <laughs> transparent leisure, mm -hmm. um, like unique store of value, blah, blah, to uh, blockchain is becoming financial rail of the world, right, with uh, instant settlement. Um, 24-7 ownership over your assets where you can have unlimited access to different um, variables within an asset, right? So, um, and yeah, I think uh, yeah, we'll get there, but I don't want to overwhelm you with mm -hmm. uh, new primitives that we have discovered this year. Totally. Okay. So why don't we start with like a product overview? So you guys provide privacy layer on EVM chains via smart contract and then support like private transactions, trading and payments. And you guys offer SDK uh, for partners to integrate privacy into apps and the revenue share with like first party integration partners. This is like the overall overview like i got from one of your uh, i believe it was like a twitter space with someone so i wonder um using like a regular people's world if someone who doesn't have like a lot of advanced knowledge in the crypto space um how do you explain this to them as a business mm -hmm. yes so our first use case is trading right and mm -hmm. there's a um, um, you know, I think last time I looked at the daily volume was 2.5 billion uh, mm -hmm. daily volume of trading in DeFi. And mm. you know, if you look at the wallets and all transactions, uh, you know, there are a lot of big uh, transactions that got sandwiched, what means that uh, they got front run. Um, a lot of copy trading happened when wallets become successful and you see that they um have good like they they generated a lot of alpha and additional uh profit on top of uh, the base mm -hmm. and like and in a, in a real world in the stock market right you don't have immediate traceability so you have uh bid ask orders but you actually don't know what are the strategies behind except just one transaction um and then you have to file uh, documents. I think it. It you know, for hedge funds, it's uh, within three months that discloses your positions. Well, in crypto, you immediately share the position, right? And this position is attached to your, all your history of previous positions and transactions. And in comparison with token bonds and you know other 
derivative markets, crypto has way more different uh, strategies. So you can do staking, liquidity provision that we don't have in current world. So the question then becomes, okay, how can you keep privacy of your strategies and uh, without disclosing them on chain at the moment of transaction? And and that's where Hinkle becomes helpful, right? So Hinkle allows you to show the strategies without anyone being able to attach the strategies to you and know your wallet. So same applies then. Um, so this is the initial vertical, which is the biggest in crypto. But then, uh, for example, there are several payment protocols that allow uh, companies to pay in uh, USDC. Uh, to their employees uh, worldwide and the problem that they uh, have is how uh, to make sure that their clients um, you know have privacy between the employer and employee without you know employees know each other salaries competitors know um, how much their competitors yeah, earn money mm-hmm. um, and that's what we enable right so you can shield either sender or receiver or both mm how like i guess like from a business standpoint who are you guys like trying to sell this to um and like i guess like what's a business model around it yeah so we sell to liquid funds so the funds mm-hmm. that uh, actively do on chain trading and send um second type of clients we have uh is protocols so you know payroll protocols token investing protocols uh, but the initial first biggest client, of course, is uh, liquid funds because they have daily volumes um, and they have the biggest need for that. They are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the biggest beneficiaries of crypto so far. Uh, and we, we charge per transaction. So current business model is three bips per transaction. And um, more transactions they do, lower uh, they pay. And um, they basically tell us what they need in terms of the integrations, right? So some liquid funds can use, you know, seven DAPs, like for their strategies, uh, while others use 15. So we have a clear roadmap what we should integrate. So far, we are live on six chains, major EVM chains, and we absorbed uh, six major EVM DAPs. But the future that we are building with all our clients is that Hinkle is a private version of uh, Ethereum and EVM, right? You mm-hmm. onboard, cre- create a shielded wallet, and then you are fully untraceable, while you also make sure that there are no uh, illicit assets or regulatory risks within the protocol, because we make sure that um, no illicit parties can participate for uh, bad reasons. Mm. Okay, so you mentioned about liquid funds. Like, can you give us an example? And can you unpack a little bit of like the sales process? Um, since you're the CEO, you have to kind of like um, showcase a product to them. Like, what is your pitch there? Yeah, so the, the pitch, um, yeah, the pitch initially was super complicated actually because they couldn't understand what type of privacy we provide. Mm-hmm. But finally, when they when uh, we started becoming more clear, um, so the picture this right. So we can make sure that you maintain custody over your funds, 
and run your strategies uh, on chain in a fully private environment so no one can see a history of transactions as well as at mm -hmm. the moment uh, of transaction no one can see uh, which assets belong to you mm -hmm. and um, we should sender of transaction what means that wallet and with subsequent integration with um, you know private mempool and mm -hmm. you know DID privacy uh, that verifies your credentials and um, sales processes um, you know it's it started in a very complicated manner because basically mm -hmm. uh, funds should trust uh, the protocol and as we see now we have a protocol hacks every day right you look at um, the latest news and you see like someone was hacked and even SEC's Twitter was hacked recently so <laughs> um, and um, you know it, it, it it's a lot of trust and um, relationship building as well because uh, you know you like you have to provide security guarantees which include um, smart contract security with um, audits and we did three audits um, we also have real-time prevention and remediation tool exegate so yeah so basically it's like um, it's providing uh, the value but also building um, it's it's pretty long cycle of building trust with the partners and more users you have on the platform uh, of course higher is a value for everyone hmm you mentioned like three major like clients right like one is the payroll protocols and then the other one's like token investing uh and the other one's like liquid funds um so like how big is like each type of clients like market and then how many people are actually using like crypto for payroll um nowadays and then do you see that as a future yeah so i think we should start the opposite way right so it's first liquid funds which is mm -hmm. the biggest market mm. and you know it's we have based based on what we found we have around 85 active liquid funds doing DeFi strategies um mm. and you know these liquid funds range anywhere from one to 20 million daily volume and five to 200 million uh, AUM, DeFi AUM. Yeah. And um, now it's, it's, it's like they, they contribute very healthy number from the current market, right? So if you think about um, like if 100% is total DeFi uh, daily volume, then liquid funds is at least 30%. Mm. Right. And, um, you know, even if you capture like three, five percent of this market, you, you might have um, you might have healthy revenues and healthy growth. And that's why, you know, this this is not a sprint. This is more like marathon. But mm -hmm. we have very right direction where we are going. Um, how do they heard about you guys? Yeah, Stanford helps a lot. Mm -hmm. and um yeah what i guess I like you want to what do you, say something yeah yeah so i guess like what is like the sales process like to these companies like are they um it's not like the chief information officer like taking 
into consideration of like which protocol to use or like how like or do you have to educate them in the space like what do you need to do to get you know people to transact like you know one to twenty million to five to two hundred million dollar on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it includes both. So it includes a lot of education, right? So now, so for example, recently we realized. So I was selling to one of the funds, and it's actually a VC fund. So the one use case that I haven't shared yet, I, I totally forgot. It's a VC. So what Hinkle allows is crypto native VCs to buy and liquidate uh, tokens privately. So it mm -hmm. substitutes OTC markets in this case. Um, but first, it's a lot of education. So we have created a lot of materials to simplify the process. Now we are creating a set of videos to simplify the process and explain what type of privacy we provide, what type of privacy layers are in the market. Um, and many nuances, right? What uh, differentiates us from uh, the rest of the market. So second point is um, doing a lot of uh, like in-person live demos. So I travel, I, I didn't travel as much last year. I went to major crypto conferences, but the output from that conferences was, um, like, was tremendous. So I didn't mm. expect uh, this, but like each conference we went, we uh, met a lot of liquid funds and they were all super interested, right? And what I realized now that, um, okay, Zoom is fine, right? But everyone started hating Zoom and it's really hard to build trust in them. Mm. So they, even though you have, you know, these basic uh, signals such as, okay, Stanford, good investors, Silicon Valley, blah, blah. It's still important for them to understand who you are right what you think about like who are your uh, teammates so it's a lot of in-person uh, traveling and selling to them but then after that right after your relation you establish relationship is about mm -hmm. uh, building up right so you yeah. know meeting them again somewhere or like having several zoom uh, chats onboarding them making sure they don't have bugs um, yeah, so it's like pretty heavy sales process, but the benefit is like once they like it and they once they on board, it's um, very high retention because you know there are network effects, um, there are implementations that you already built, so switching costs actually are uh, pretty high. Mm. So I feel like there's like one question around there. So like I feel like crypto is such a um... In the entire crypto space, there's a lot of gray areas or just like people are um, doing shady things in general. So I wonder like when you're identifying these like crypto, um, let's say VC, like crypto native VC funds and like how do you identify Like how do you like kind of like do the background check to see um, if the fund is actually there? Like and then basically how do you do due diligence to, validify, uh, to validate your um, sales target? And I have a second question, but I'll let you go to the first question first. Yeah, so all users um, on our protocol should KYC or KYB, right? It implies mm. that there is a background check, there's UBO check, there's company check. Um, and that's why 
and and but you know there's also another primitive of crypto which is permissionless right and in this case right um our i mean even if everyone can use hinkle right and self-service up but you still have to prove that you either have uh, account with major centralized exchanges such as coinbase um mm. or or you do or if you did kyc somewhere else uh, you have to prove this you have this credential and we use reusable attestation for that that's basically due diligence process to make sure that no illicit funds uh can get to hinko right then uh what was the other question the other question is like um you know what do they use before you kind of mentioned like they probably use coinbase or some other like major exchanges um i guess like what is hinko replacing what what was the past like user behavior before using you guys mm -hmm. yeah before they use centralized exchanges to shield assets right the problem is that okay you you can do the, uh, this way right and that's that's some of them um so you can send transaction to centralized exchange then uh, split it in several ch chunks send it out um, and then there is a way to remove the trace because you have centralized exchange in between without association to certain wallet right mm -hmm. but um, this process isn't efficient because first um, you're trusting centralized exchange second you you actually have to um, you know wait you have to you know be um you have to think about you know how like uh, how like which transaction you should make how many wallets you want to spin out out of centralized exchange when you send to new to new wallets right so it's like this weird interaction between centralized exchange where that you want to remove and that's what we are providing right you don't need this centralized exchange and do this obfuscation with it you can have um, privacy layer that acts as your wallet mm. that sits in between transaction in between your wallet and the end up and masks your transaction mm. what is like the i guess like what is the mo di most difficult thing or like challenges that you face while building this so tech is very complicated so we have you now 12 people it's me um one marketing person one community person and all engineers and we just um had like we have two more people joining us next week so it's really like for early stage startup even though we raised um good numbers uh, of capital it's uh, it's heavy engineering load right so like mm -hmm. 10 engineers work 24 7 right and you know we have very intense culture where all all of us work a lot um and second uh problem is of course that that we didn't uh foresee when we started was um, security so we didn't expect that security will become such an issue in DeFi because you know when we started it was right after ftx when we just raised and everyone was oh don't trust anyone how can after ftx how can you trust centralized exchange mm -hmm. and this is uh, everything will be DeFi, right we see the movement to DeFi, right so uh centralized exchange sex to dex ratio uh, moving uh, like skewing towards dexes 
So I don't know the exact number, but it was around 20% when I looked last time. And it's always, um, it always uh, grew over time. But number of uh, uh, smart contract hacks every day uh, is just crazy. So you see that, you know, if, if, like, if you don't, um, if you suddenly give access to malicious users and they hack your telegram, they can social engineer your master keys and suddenly, you know, protocols are hard and millions are stolen. And there are very few stories when smart contracts like protocols recovered after that. Um, you know, they were basically saved by either, you know, initial founders you know, or VCs, you know, wormhole, I think is a good example for that. But in 99% of, of cases, if you're hugged, you're done. That's it. Mm. Right. So our question is like how to make sure that we have all possible security uh, guarantees and measures that we have to make to prevent this. And that's where, like, why we pay a lot of attention and prioritize security over speed, right? Mm. Because downside protection in crypto is is crucial. Mm. I like what you said about security over speed, and I feel like in the crypto space, like, people are pretty much like trying to do the opposite to like grow as fast as possible. But like, there is always some sort of like, um challenges in terms of like keeping the company safe in general so i wonder like what is um so one of the audience asked like how do you um get your start into blockchain um from my understanding you like you know i think we'll chat about like sb icon in a little bit like but which is i don't know how much time do you have because like our as our original discussion was like supposed to be like 30 minutes do you have more time yeah, I have more time. Okay, perfect. So um, one of the audience mentioned, like, how do you get started into blockchain? So we have to talk about the most iconic SVI icon situation. So assuming you got the idea from there. Um, I think you mentioned it in, uh, I don't know if it's our previous conversation or, like, you mentioned it in, like, a talk or something. So, um, you know, Georgie, do you want to take it from there to to talk about, like, how you got started in blockchain? Yeah, so we started, you know, it was serendipity that actually led us to blockchain, but you know, very positive serendipity that can probably only happen in Silicon Valley. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I got to Stanford, it was, I was class of 2021, GSB. Then I did a mass, a mass in sustainability. And during school, um, I started SVI events out of my uh, unsuccessful social up experiment. Mm -hmm. So we were building social up. Um, so like meaning communities? And yeah, yeah. So like it's for, for closed net communities where people can express their interest and build connections, you know, find co-founders uh, with a common denominator as trust. Um, mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, think about early version of Facebook, but more in person, right? Like with mm -hmm. um, COVID as a catalyst and post-COVID mm -hmm. world as a catalyst for more in-person meetings. And um, and then we started this and I couldn't really convince anyone to open the app. So we made mm -hmm. the first wrong decision <laughs> in the startup. <laughs> we built a mobile app 
and no one needed Mobella because you know I and I couldn't imagine how high was a friction for adoption for any mm-hmm. mobile app, especially mm-hmm. now. You know, I would just if someone tells me Georgie build a mobile app, I would just run away from from this person. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> so, and then I start, uh, you know, I started hosting these events with you know our friends who you know sudden like then later became also host, um, like in backyards of my friends. And um, like this was the the way to incentivize Stanford students to open the app. So I was like, "Hey guys, we have C of G, we have you know best investors, right? If you want to join these dinners, and it's like all ten people private dinners, open mm-hmm. the app and do certain steps." And then I had a chance to just you know like try to engineer certain behavior so i was like okay if you want to join you have to create event or like mm-hmm. if you want to join like then uh, you know share the feedback or reflection and you will get some points uh that will help you help you to join next event so it was this social experiment that never worked um but it was great because suddenly it enabled unparalleled level of insights mm-hmm. right so i was going like, like i was you know basically organizing moderating these dinners uh and then you know you have all these insights in a very you know private setup that these people don't usually share on podcasts or you know youtube and and then you you i just you know suddenly realized that my learning path just you know skyrocketed so i just asked oh what do you think about blockchain or, or like military spent or something else and then they were like they they just share very unhinged um like opinions and this allowed this you know insight gathering for me and realizing okay where should i go and a lot of serendipity started happening so i started meeting a lot of you know outstanding people who want to be entrepreneurs and they were also figuring out Right, and during one of the dinners with Peter Fenton, and Peter is, um, you know, one of the most iconic VCs in mm-hmm. uh, Silicon Valley and worldwide. Mm-hmm. Right, he he was probably one of the most insightful speakers that we had, um, and uh, his partner at Benchmark. So he he started asking questions about blockchain, and it was yeah, it was twenty twenty one and we didn't have men like we had one one of my friends that responding and then right after the dinner i received a call from one of participants by saying hey georgie why don't you add tokens to your social app that i had before mm-hmm. and i was like and social app wasn't working anyways so i was like what should i do probably it might be a good idea <laughs> so and then it's like okay let's add tokens so that so and then you know, our engineers, my brother, who is um, our CTO, he started coding in Solidity. I started, you know, and then the benefit of SVIGANS again was that, okay, now we are in crypto, right? What is the right way to to hack uh, the knowledge, right? To learn as fast as possible what is the most important uh, in crypto and what are the major primitives there? So immediately I was able, you know, to get, you know, Stanford Blockchain Club, um, 
you know cryptographers blah blah at my place next day and i was like guys let's figure out how it works like can you explain <laughs> me uh, <laughs> what, what yeah, are the necessary steps talk, like, yeah. two two months ago you gave a talk there the stanford blockchain club yep yep we had um yeah. during some um it was summer actually yeah a stanford blockchain um conference mm. wait so basically um, wait, how did you learn about this quickly? So you just asked like all the questions to the blockchain club people. And like, I guess like, how do you quickly, but because I feel like asking questions or like learning about the, I feel like, okay, so overall crypto is such a really abstract concept for a lot of people. And then before, I feel like before ChatGPT, my learning curve was like really, really steady until ChatGPT, it becomes skyrocketed because there's so many things you can just like research and asking it to explain it to you. I wonder before that era, like what, how do you learn from people? And then um, what were your insights at like since you started building the product? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I just started, you know, I love asking dumb questions generally and uh, I, I bet your um, question you know, will, will be never actually dumb, but keep going. Sorry. <laughs> no, it is. I think initially they were all dumb, actually. But uh, you know, I will. It's it's like it, it's clear, right? I mean, there is trust component that okay, people mm -hmm. trust you, right? So now you can okay, like probably I can ask whatever you want, and their sources, their original source of information, right? So they know on again the latest research on zero knowledge proof or why it is important, on why like utility tokens um won't work, you know, with current regulation. Or, you know, there are so many different questions that I could ask different people, right? And we had mm -hmm. all of them here. So I was like mm -hmm. going in, hey, like I, my friend Erfan, for example. I was like, Erfan, what does it mean? Because like Georgie, like look, we can go directly now uh, and launch this token. But I wouldn't suggest you this. I was like, how does it work? So, so I think you know, if you have right people around you, uh, you can ask so many. You can learn your know, way um, in a way more fast pace um, than anywhere else. And I think it's you know now everyone is talking. Information is everywhere. Uh, you know, you can be in any country in this world and have the same information so you don't have this mode of being in silicon valley blah blah and i don't believe it because it just you know i have two experiences right i have experience pre and after and i know this power of having the smartest people around you and how much you can get without you know avoiding all these bullshit traps right where and then you know i compare for example i went to georgia last summer and i compare you now like what people think about blockchain and what they build with what we have here right and georgia now is you know even though i love georgia it's like it's very um it's quite developed now in on the tech scene mm -hmm. and blockchain is a thing but it's still on the like on ramp off ramp centralized exchange right mm -hmm. well here you know the primitives are complete like we have modular blockchains ck for you know state proof mm -hmm. or different you know, completely different ideas that's the flow so and then you you ask like how you can avoid like you can solve the, for this asymmetry 
And the only way to solve it is to have the smartest people around you. And that's what helped us basically in each moment of our stage. Mm. How would you like build a program like or like how do you build like a community of smart people and then make them willingly to share these things with you because I constantly feel like if I ask a really dumb question people would just drop me um and but yeah I don't know like how do you if you don't well I guess like I don't really know like how to ask the question because you are already at Stanford but if you are not like in a school setting also I feel like you grew the community out of the school setting like that's a really good advantage because there's like a lot of people there you can easily get together with with them in like a really um short distance like and I wonder if you're recreating this in somewhere else around the world or like even in other part of the bay how would you go about it like creating a community mm -hmm. of smart people friends. Yeah, so I think, you know, we we were lucky by being at Stanford and creating this, okay, like, and, you know, I obviously didn't plan this to become what we see now. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's not only my benefit, but also benefit um, uh, and, you know, achievement from, like, of our hosts. So now... I don't host events myself, so we have, you know, phenomenal eight hosts, and, you know, they like hosting, they pro-community, right? So it it became this magical place, right, where, you know, everyone can, like, can benefit from it, and everyone has actually different incentives, right? Hosts have incentives to get to know speakers, get to know the audience, right, build a certain level of reputation, audience has different incentives to learn from the speakers to learn from other attendees right and we have also community managers who with different set of incentives how to grow a community how to facilitate matching between the founders and investors but if you think about you know what uh sei can provide is you know early version of you know any like for example if if you think about like venture life cycle right there is there's the side of incubation, right? And then after incubation is acceleration. And then for each uh, verticals here, we have, uh, you know, we have like VCs or accelerators occupying uh, these verticals. For example, pre-acceleration phase, when you already have good idea, like it's a good time to go to YC, right? Mm -hmm. uh, post YC, it's good to to have great investors because you you know accelerate your growth. Uh, but there's nothing for actually pre-acceleration phase, right? There is no place where these these ideas or like are organically created between people without pushing them. And a lot of VCs tried to do this, right? They tried to have mm -hmm. these early arms invite founders blah blah uh but you know if founder only uh, like already knows that he is a founder uh then he might go there if he uh but you know how can you uh find top talent right and the smartest people within an ecosystem that actually they don't know what what they will build right or what they're interested in and that's where sv icons uh, provide the most of the value, right? So someone who is like passionate 
by nature, right? And, you know, we have a lot of, of people like this at Stanford. They come and just share their opinions that listeners connect to each other and create this magic. And I think answering our, um, your question about recreation, uh, I think it's possible to recreate in emerging countries as well, right? When, but the question I would ask is how to um, how to have set of highly incentivized and uh, smart people who has uh, who have knowledge of uh, you know like these future industries, right? Such as you know who can code, who can quickly understand business models, right? Because there's a lot of selectivity that happened here uh, in Silicon Valley ecosystem. You don't, you almost don't have random people, right? All of them are highly picked by someone, right? By, okay, mm -hmm. it can be Google, it can be Stanford or mm -hmm. uh, anyone else. Right? Yeah, 100%. Um, I like, so first of all, I'm very thankful that uh, you have me in like one of the dinners as um, just like a participant. And I felt like the format was like really interesting because I personally felt really hard to um, run these like dinner things in the adult world. Like we're talking about like in adult world, it's like, um, you know, when you have like a founder dinner or something, um, not like one person can listen to someone talk like, but like when I went to the dinner, like everyone was so like quiet and then like listening to the speaker talk and then like um overall like i wonder like um how does the format start it because i feel like um and then how do you kind of like uh i don't really know how to like describe like how do you like kind of like shape a dinner just because i felt really hard to like recreate that situation because i feel like maybe it's because of like students are really used to be listening to classes so they're like very like they adopt the format of like you know we sitting at a table and then looking at someone like while they were talking and then people maybe like eating or something so basically we have like a group dinner together but in like let's say if we're like running it at a restaurant or something i found it could be really hard because number one is like you don't actually hear the speaker and then the speaker may be not as like that advanced compared to like the real world founders because I don't know like I guess how do you kind of like shaped the culture of your dinner mm -hmm. this is such a vague yeah, question I, think, yeah. I apologize for like asking a really mm -hmm. like just like really vague question no, it, it, it's, it's a great question. And I would, you know, I would start with uh, the story behind dinners uh, in the backyards, right? Or in the houses or in now we have um, like three locations actually, and all of them are great. But initially we started uh, in restaurants, right? Mm -hmm. So we had restaurants and then during one of the dinners, I won't share which one, but uh, we had dinner in a pretty expensive restaurant. And then, you know, obviously we didn't feel comfortable, you know, stopping ordering, right? Because like, they, you know, they were just proposing like different menus and speakers was mm -hmm. there and, and, you know, like, oh yeah, okay, like bring this. 
And then suddenly we realized that the bill was uh, $400 for each person. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that was a kind of and then i think everyone hated me after that dinner because they had to pay 400 uh, bucks right but um it was a signal for us that we have to figure out different format and my friend uh chingis and Izada, you know they their couple from gsb uh, they proposed you know we we like we brainstormed, brainstormed, and decided that we can uh, host uh, in their backyard and start, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And then, like after first five dinners, I actually started hosting uh, all dinners, you know, like in their backyard, and they were, you know, helping uh, to organize them. And that was the just, you know, very organic, genuine format that we created. And these speakers loved it, right? They were like very informal. Uh, they can relax and they don't have this noise from the restaurant. And it mm-hmm. was just like initially we had like eight, maximum 10 people dinners. Um, so this allowed this to shape the format, right? And the format was we had Georgian wine that I was buying. We had um, Central Asian food and we have the, yeah, we had this backyard. Then the number of participants um, grew a lot, right? And we started thinking, okay, like how we, we can um, expand the format without sacrificing the quality. And mm. I think sometimes you sacrifice the quality, right? But mm, that's you know, we never had, we never have people like over fifty people or seventy people. Like we had, like Sam Altman was really i think 70 or 80 like a lot of mm. people in bigger room but it went still mm. great right everyone asked questions and, and but most of the dinners are still in this you know cozy dinner format um mm. and yeah i think i didn't shape it it was just shaped by the nature of things happening right and we just followed mm-hmm. it you know this is like kind of evolving area so we might change to something different at some point right now we're thinking what if we have two speakers, right, or three speakers? Mm-hmm. Maybe this can provide even more value for them. So it always evolves, right? And I don't know what what will be the format in one year, but so far, I think you know it, it provides all like all greatest values to each participant. I wonder, like, when you are thinking about the participants, right? Like, you build a community of um, over 170 investors and. Oh, no, no, actually, no, like, sorry, this is like for your company. So you actually have like over like, so basically you guys have like a really big community now. So I wonder when you are thinking about like building the community from scratch, how did you have the first cohort of people that who is like keep showing up? And, you know, like, I wonder, like, I think we chat about this previously. Like I asked you uh, basically a really selfish question about like, if I want to create a community, how should I go about it? Like, I wonder, like, I think being like, sometimes like when people trying to talk to students is because of the, they really want to give back. And then also like Stanford students are really smart, right? So it's good for recruiting or like spread the word in some, in some way. But like, if you want to create this in like a real world, to do something similar to like create your own community in your own like domain how would you run about it and let's say if we all targeting let's say series a ai founders or whatever um like 
I guess like it it will be because in the adult world, people may be more paying attention to the fluff stuff. Like if you don't really have like a presentable office or something, like would that be like a barrier for people to like decide to come or not? And also like if when you're like selecting the investors, like because of they are like what kind of things would they share to like make to engage with the community because i feel like the community are more um on a businessy level people would just be like really over the place to pitch themselves to the investor i assume how would you kind of navigate that kind of um situation mm-hmm. yeah i think uh the most important thing and the unfair advantage that we had was access to initially Stanford professors uh, who are practitioners, right? So we had mm-hmm. Steve Blank, uh, we had Scott Cooper, we had, you know, all other brilliant people that teach at Stanford as a first mm-hmm. uh, guests, right? Mm-hmm. And then for the next uh, uh, next speakers, it's really, it becomes really easy to pitch because you say, okay, we had Steve Blank and Scott Cooper, can you join us? And if they are GSB alums, you know, of course, they also want to come and speak. You know, they, they want to give back, right? There is a lot of incentive there, but they also want to engage with, um, like, good community, like Stanford uh, students and alums because... Now, some of them are all of them are investors let's let's say this mm-hmm. right and they wanna they also want uh good ideas to get there right to get their minds mm-hmm. and they want to share what they think right so it's kind of this natural exchange uh, mm-hmm. of values and because of this natural uh, unfair advantage that we had it was um very straightforward the way we grew community right because every new speaker brings uh the value to the ecosystem because suddenly right you can um you like this is a public information right because we also have substock we share this right and when other speakers see that we had these um, brilliant speakers that they know they actually can do reference check so mm-hmm. they ask, hey, like, how was it? And they share, oh, it was great, great dinner, you know, wine, whatever. Uh, and then this provides um, tremendous value, right, for the growth of community. Um, and, you know, if like in your example of Series A founders, yeah, and how to grow community, I would, you know, it's still the most crucial thing is what is the unfair um, value, like our like growth path that you can have, that you can leverage in. This guy might be your personal network. So once you have several good speakers, it becomes more straightforward. And I think you also touched a very important topic of churn, right? So how to make sure that uh, the other side of uh, community, it's, you know, students and alums, right? Um, Also show up regularly and churn is actually a big problem but it is solved by always new cohorts that we have at stanford mm-hmm. so we have a set of people that always come so even you know within the last i think yeah it's more than two years when we started the sci consent mm-hmm. we still have some set of people right and we always want them to come 
and then the rest of people change and for example like yesterday um, we had dinner with ultimate or capital and i saw a person that we used to have um during the like first two months of s3icons and i was like hey and he works now in investment banking in mendel park and just you know and he has grown up he has like taller than me and i was like mm -hmm. wow you have grown up <laughs> in my absence like in the last two years so but then you know they they show up in two years right and our goal mm -hmm. is to make this the most sustainable community right so people showed up two years ago then will show up you know now and then they might show up in three years right but mm -hmm. uh you know if you know a person for five years there is a you know trust component that uh, it's hard to replicate anywhere else mm. i wonder like so why crypto or why did you decide on this idea because you have access to so many like top investors top speakers um founders and like crypto was like the trend in 2021 i don't blame you on that but right now we're in the ai era so like i know that we cannot chase every buzzword, but I wonder what make you land on this particular idea. You know, one of the biggest takeaways that we had uh, during um, SUICONS, I personally had, is that you know if you choose something and you're highly convinced uh, and have some information, right? Um, maybe inside information that you have built up um from other people uh you know it's you shouldn't really follow the trends anymore right so and obviously crypto was a trend and we got into crypto when it was it was a trend but we learned a lot about the basic premise of crypto why uh you know this is a future financial rail right and how it solves the problems of finance um and enables like completely new use cases never possible before right and then sound like and i spent in like i spent five years in finance before so i have pretty good understanding of how money work right i worked in hedge funds investment banking um, like private equity so i had this uh, like background then you know I, I i learned very quickly uh and built conviction Right. And then suddenly, okay, we have AI happening, but doesn't mm -hmm. change our conviction about crypto? No, not at all. Right now in AI, I see that, you know, all our dinners are um, about AI actually. So, and when I say about crypto, people start laughing. And, but I think it's, it's super hard to build a company in AI because a lot of the value goes to incumbents. Right. Okay. It's also good, right? Because incumbents can buy you at some point. So it's like you become an uh, acquisition target if you build something interesting. Right. But, you know, I think it's very counterproductive to follow the trends just because they're trends. And I don't like this fact that, you know, this um, flaking nature of Silicon Valley that, you know, so we had. 50% of developers devoted to crypto and suddenly we have just 1% of developers doing crypto and everyone else suddenly became uh, AI person. So I was like, wow, that's so 
so interesting, right? But I mean, I think that's a human nature, right? Following the trends and being excited about what is relevant now. But, you know, I love AI. I use ChatGPT almost every day. So, um, you know, I think some people, yeah, for, for some people, it was the right path and right change to do, but not for us. What? How did you have the conviction for this particular idea? Like, because I feel like as a mm -hmm. founder, I change my mind about things every single day. Um, but like, I when I'm one of the people who flip from crypto to AI instantly at the December of 2022. So <laughs> I want to know how do you have conviction into a particular sector? <laughs> So when we started, uh, you know, after we got into crypto, I started hosting a lot of crypto events, right? So we had major crypto founders who live here in Silicon Valley and investors. So this allowed that it's actually, and basically all the questions we were asking, okay, like, what do you think will be the first trigger, first adoption point, where will it go? What are the primitives, right? So and when usually when a lot of capital is allocated within certain vertical in order to show the results right it usually takes four years right for example in 2020 2021 we had a lot of money allocated to DeFi and gaming right what we expect that uh, you know in four years so starting this year 24 but then moving forward 25 26 we see a lot of games uh, using NFTs as um, you know, core primitives, as well as DeFi, like smart contracts for real world, right? And we see now that banks experiment with this, um, but no one what no one actually expected that would happen is all these crypto scams, right? Such as FTX, as well as uh, regulation being so hard. Mm -hmm. But if you look at you know look in Asia. Regulation now is like super pro crypto. Look in Europe, regulation super pro crypto. I think US is lagging, but it will pick up. Um, and you know, uh, like with ETF approval, we'll have a lot uh, more great regulatory movements pro crypto. Um, but you know, the, if crypto is becoming an industry, and we have all this information how it can become an industry without having an embedded privacy layer that allows people to make these uh, financial transactions private. Mm. There is no way, right? And the mm. point when we started, and still uh, right now, you know, we are the most advanced solution on the market that basically allows us, uh, allows anyone to have private transactions without intermediating liquidity right so with like embedding basically private uh privacy layer in the current liquidity sets mm. what would you say are the future of crypto do you see everybody just transacting over blockchain in like 2050 yeah i see everyone like using blockchain in 20 even 2030, to be frank. And uh, I see a lot of new interesting primitives that crypto is opening up. And recently I was thinking about, you know, velocity of money 
And I think what crypto enables is um, completely different velocity that we have in the current world. What I mean by this is, uh, let's imagine, you know, you have the house, right? Um, and then you want to get money on the house, like, um, so you buy the house, right? You give money to someone, uh, it like he gives you a uh, house in exchange. You have this one set of transaction. Now you have this house, right? What can you do with it? You can go and collateralize it once, right? And receive money, buy something else. And then probably within the chain of three transactions, uh, and many days, right? Because it's like all a lot of bureaucracy, right? With different intermediaries, your set of different activities are done, right? What crypto enables, right? With more assets on chain is having velocity of money uh, that was unseen before, right? You can take this house, this house represents, right? Certain asset on chain, you can, uh, you know, exchange like f f exchange fraction of it. Uh, you can uh, participate, you know, in a liquidity pool, right? And then you can provide liquidity to the pool where this asset is, you know, based uh, underlying layer, right? That holds it. Then you can have this control assets and do whatever you want afterwards, right? So there are so many different things that uh, are enabled and provide additional value to you if you have more assets on chain that you know, no other industry can offer us. And with more lives and more time we spend digitally, uh, we'll be seeing a lot of adoption of these primitives where you know same asset can serve multiple different uh, proposals without sacrificing the speed, right? And what it leads ultimately is an economic growth right because you know one of the crucial parts of economic growth is innovation is uh velocity of money you know and that's why crypto uh people call crypto you know fast money mm -hmm. i have one last real question i'm so sorry i'm like so slow at this so i wonder so i think in early on our conversation chat about like the um the position of like the centralized ecosystems so basically even like people on your platform people have to still showcase that like you know the kyc or like some other stuff like so basically like people have to prove that they have money from like a traditional way right um how will that shape into the future like so how will that like change in the future because if we have to prove something like i mean that means like the centralized ecosystem will never die and if centralized ecosystem never die like what's the point of using a decentralized ecosystem if my question makes any sense yeah. But... Mm -hmm. yeah i don't think that centralized ecosystem should die right i think what decentralized ecosystem means right that it means that everyone uh, has set of incentives that mm. uh, for good behavior, right? To make sure that they don't uh, participate in a malicious manner. And some centralized primitives, I mean, we have most of the assets now in a centralized world, right? Pension funds, um, you know, family offices, etc. right? So the question is, 
Like they, they don't care about decentralized or centralized. They want to make sure that uh, wherever money goes, right, and wherever the value is created, you know, first they can participate, and second, in, they can participate in a legit way, right? So I don't really share this, um, you know, decentralized or centralized um, opinion, opinion, right, and that they're opposite. I think. You know, the centralized is very close, might be very close uh, to centralized and the opposite, right? Centralized can move to decentralized if it provides certain guarantees that, you know, these people won't interact with uh, illicit parties, right? That they have some safety over counterparty. And, uh, and then this allows us for this smooth transition with the right incentives. Mm. That's a really interesting way to think about it. And then, okay, so uh, thank you so much, Georgie, for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Uh, find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it. So I barely use uh, Instagram. So these two channels are great. And thanks, Grace, for having me. It was a really exciting and interesting conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you so much. I hope to see you soon at your next event or yeah. my event. But anyway, okay. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, please come to our events. See you. Bye-bye.